Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. It's Fabinho, sense. Guaita, the wrong way. So in a far from perfect season, Liverpool still have us wondering, don't they? Is it possible? In January was a pretty decent month, finished off at a tough ground. Palace away, never a straightforward proposition, but the Reds navigated it. And with a large slice of help from Alison, of course, the imperious Alison. I'm Steve Holt. Let's you with James Pearce and writer Stephen Beacom on the Red Agenda. And, uh, and let's face it, we've become accustomed to finding life pretty tough when a new year starts. 2022 has offered something a little bit different, James. Yeah, it really has, Steve. And, um, you know, massively needed in the context of the season, I think. There was a lot of probably doom and gloom at the start of the month because Liverpool's form wasn't great. When you go back to that that draw at Stamford Bridge that that kicked off 2022, I think, what was it, two points out of nine in the Premier League. Jurgen Klopp was isolating due to COVID. You had no Alisson, no Matip, no Firmino due to COVID. You had, you know, waving goodbye to, you know, two of your most potent attacking weapons in Salah and Mane and the creative talents of Naby Keita as well due to AFCON. So... Yeah, there was a lot of negativity around there in terms of, you know, what on earth would there still be to play for when those players came back from Cameroon? And, um, you know, amazingly, the answer is absolutely everything because Liverpool find themselves having negotiated January unscathed, four wins, two draws, still in the FA Cup, a first Wembley final for six years and maximum points in the two Premier League games whilst AFCON's been ongoing, which has kept them, you know, just with a a slither of a chance, I'd say, in the title race. So, um, yeah, what's traditionally been a really tough month for Liverpool has has actually been one to savour this time around. Slither of a chance or more. Myself and Stephen were talking before we started this podcast. And um, I, I don't know, it, it's almost like maybe Liverpool fans are a little bit nervous about saying more than a than a sliver. But let, let's look at it factually. Game in hand, that's against Leeds. You would hope Liverpool would win that. There's the head-to-head with Manchester City at the start of April. And then all of a sudden, the margin could be so, so much tighter, Stephen. The quadruple is still on, boys, isn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> it's amazing, really. Um, James painted a, a wonderful picture there of the difficulties Liverpool had going into this month. But they've stood up so well to every challenge that has been put in their way. And this has been a magnificent January for Jurgen Klopp's men. So impressive. You're missing two of the best strikers, wingmen, goal scorers on the planet, and you don't lose a game. In fact, you win all the important games. The only one that Liverpool didn't win was against Arsenal at Anfield, and that was a two-legged affair. So um, it's all about the 180 minutes rather than the 90 in that. So fantastic effort from Liverpool, absolutely outstanding. And I've got to say, that was brilliant to get that result against Crystal Palace yesterday. 
I have nightmares every time I think of Selhurst Park, boys. I'll open up to you right now. I was at that match, yeah, that one in 2014. And I was actually in the home end. You know what it's like? Sometimes you can't get tickets with the Liverpool fans. So you go to grounds um, and you just end up sitting with the home supporters. I've been to Old Trafford. I've been to Goodison Park, Highbury. In the North Bank, would you believe? Stamford Bridge, which was an uncomfortable experience. But the most uncomfortable of all time was Selhurst Park, when Liverpool were 3-0 up and ended up drawing 3-3. Me and my brother had gone there because we truly believed that was the title winning match. Didn't turn out that way. And I had fears yesterday that we were going to lose a lead again. But thankfully, Liverpool came home and um, secured a vital, vital victory. When we look back at the end of this season, that match could be so huge for Liverpool if they can um, continue this type of form and push Manchester City all the way. But what you said, Steve, nine points in it. Liverpool have a game in hand. The big match, of course, is going to be at Manchester City later on this season. But Liverpool are not out of this, not by a long chalk. I mean, Selhurst Park away traditionally is tough for any team. And I think that's because the atmosphere is is ridiculously good. I've... I've often said, but bar Anfield for me, I, I think it is one of the most intimidating places. Again, I was at that game you, you referred to, Stephen. I think that played a part in the, in the comeback for Palace that day. It can be a tough one to navigate, James. Yeah, it, it can. And that is why it's so important when you go to a place like that, that you, that you start well and don't give the home supporters anything to, to shout about. And that was the most impressive thing for me about that performance on Sunday was the way in which Liverpool flew out of the traps. I, I, th- I thought the first 30, 35 minutes was as good as we've seen from Liverpool all season. I thought, you know, you, you could focus on how Palace were were, were poor, but I, I just think anyone would have struggled against Liverpool in that kind of mood. You know, there was just, you know, this amazing energy and dynamism to their play. You look at the number of bodies they committed forward, how quickly they passed the ball, the movement was so intelligent. They, they just created chance after chance. And it was, and in fact, I'd say in that first half, Selhurst Park was as quiet as I've ever known it over the years. And, um, you know, I think they, they took to taking out their frustration on, on Kevin Friend and appealing for imaginary handballs just to find something to, to shout about. Because at times in that opening half hour, it was difficult to believe it was actually a Premier League game because it was so one-sided. You know, it was 2-0. It could easily have been 3-4 or 5 with just how how dominant Liverpool were. I mean, you know, it's obviously some horrendous defending for the opening goal, but, you know, what, what a delivery from Andy Robertson and the bullet header from Van Dijk. And then again, Robertson showing his quality for the second one for, for Oxley chamberlain And then I'm not sure what happened after that. I think probably a mixture, I think, of fatigue, because I think probably that win at Arsenal in midweek had taken it out of them and Palace were obviously fresher. But I think as we've seen so many times with games like that, when it is what's so one-sided, the team in the ascendancy, it's almost like a natural thing to just ease off. It's almost like a little bit of complacency, I think, did creep in. And they started to give Palace a way back. And that was when the noise started to be cranked up. You know, But for Alisson, Palace would have been back in the game before they had done. And they would have been level after they had, after Eduard had pulled one back. But for... You know, uh, Alisson reminding everyone that he is the best goalkeeper in world football. So, um, yeah, there were some tricky times in that second half because the atmosphere was transformed then. And um, Palace really had the wind in their sails. And that, that's when your your resilience has to come to the fore. So what do we reckon? Was it was it physical 
fatigue, Stephen, or was it mental fatigue? I mean, Jurgen almost raised this, didn't he, in his, his post-match interview. So dominant, but then all of a sudden to the other end of the scale, it, it was almost impossible to understand what had gone on there. I think it was physical and mental fatigue. Whenever you reach a final, the amount of celebrating that you'll do after the match, what it takes out of you. And bear in mind, like the pressure going into that Arsenal second leg was pretty intense because Liverpool hadn't performed as that it would have liked in the first leg. So to go to, to Arsenal and produce the performance that they did was absolutely outstanding. And that is going to take it out of you. Now, going into the Palace match for the first 35 minutes, Liverpool carried over the the feel-good factor from the Arsenal match. But I think whenever Matip played that square ball and let Palace in for that first chance, I do think it gave them confidence and it um, shook Liverpool a little bit. So the end to the first half was um, uh, pretty ropey. And then the start to the second half was incredibly concerning. But... You've got to see these games through. And ultimately, that's what Liverpool did. And at the start of the match, as James said, Liverpool were absolutely brilliant. You know, the way they were pinging the ball about with confidence, with belief that every pass was going to stick was just um, a joy to watch. And Van Dijk's bullet header, my goodness, I love that. I am old enough to remember the old fanzine, Another Wasted Corner, And I have sat at Liverpool matches home and away when we have wasted so many corners, you lose count. So to see Liverpool now as the set-piece kings in English football, that makes me smile, I've got to tell you, boys. And if you can hit Van Dijk in the box, you just know he's going to deliver. And Robertson's cross was on the money. Van Dijk got away from his man. I know there was lots of talk about Palace losing Van Dijk, but... He has to make his move in the box as well, and you have to give him credit. And then when the ball comes over, him to smack that ball in the net, that's just beautiful, isn't it? You know, you love to see a big centre-half and a world-class footballer like Van Dijk hit the target. And I could see him actually scoring a few more between now and the end of the season, which could be vital. But that was the start that Liverpool needed. It didn't give Palace any encouragement. And yes, although they came back into the game, that start was the base that um, was built for Liverpool to go on and win the football match. Yeah, brilliant header. It was like a Sammy Hoopier one, wasn't it? He, he did quite a few of those. James, just in, just in terms of his, his sort of his goal ratio and what, what he's delivered for Liverpool, and obviously he had the injury in the summer, so he came back, but I think that was, what, his second goal this season? Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think with how good he is in the air and when you've got people capable of producing deliveries like... Trent and, and Robertson, I think you're entitled to, to think that he should be getting a few more like that. I think probably not as, he won't find defending quite as generous uh, at other Premier League venues. But, um, you know, Klopp touched upon it recently that there have been times when the, the set pieces have let Liverpool down and, you know, far too often they, you know, they haven't beaten the first man and all the rest of it. But when they get it right, they're almost unstoppable, haven't they? I think, I think Matip should... Should be, you know, Matip's a very good header of the ball as well. And, you know, we've seen Fabino cause issues from corners as well. So, um, yeah, it's especially during, you know, times like this where you don't have, you know, you're all your, your attacking big guns. You know, you, you need to be able to hurt teams from as, as many different areas as possible. And that was that was the absolute dream start. And it was, you know, clearly something they'd worked on a lot. And, um, you know, thankfully, 
on Sunday, Robertson's delivery was absolutely spot on. Yeah, just talk a little bit about him, James, because last week we, we waxed lyrical about Trent and his magnificent performance against Brentford. But but Andy Robertson with the deliveries for the two goals have been absolutely perfect. It almost seems sometimes when Trent puts in a really good display, Andy thinks, right, it's my, it's my turn the game after. Yeah, yeah I, I think there definitely is a bit, bit of that to it because I think they have previously had like kind of some friendly competition going on them in terms of who could chip in with the most assists over the course of a season. And I think they certainly, you know, they're both close off the pitch as well. They bring out the best in each other. And um, yeah, it was almost like Robertson had watched Trent run the show at, at the Emirates on Thursday night and obviously create the two goals and thought, right, I'll pass, you know, pass the baton on to me for Sunday afternoon at Selhurst Park because... Um, yeah, it wasn't. You know, he he could have had more assists with the some of the some of the quality crosses he he produced into that box. You know, two assists. I think over. You know, you talk about January and losing Salah, Mane, and Keita. You know, you you were looking for others to really step up, and I think what Robertson three assists in January, Trent four. Uh, they have they've they've certainly done their bit, and um, you know, I think I saw a stat yesterday. I think Robertson is now what five or six assist behind Leighton Baines before he becomes, you know, the all-time leading assist for, I think, defenders in the Premier League era, which um, is a remarkable achievement when you when you think he uh, he hasn't actually been around that long, really, and he's still got years ahead of him. Um, I, I think Robertson did have a wobble earlier on in the season. I thought there was a period when people were talking about whether, you know, Simicus should be given a bit of a run. and But I, I think at the time it just smacked of... A physical fatigue more than anything when you look at the demands that are placed on Robertson especially when he then goes away to Scotland and he, he captains them and he plays almost every minute you know I think he did have a, a small break that um that I think was enforced wasn't it due to injury and, and then since then he's come back and just got better and better and and proved that there isn't a, a better left back around absolutely he's back on he's a machine they both are aren't they well you know he was good against Palace but what about Allison? and talk about how many times he's justified his transfer fee now that was another great example world class some of the saves he was making yesterday were just stupendous they really were it's funny last week I had a conversation with a young Liverpool goalkeeper Liam Hughes He's from Northern Ireland. He's, he's now out in loan at Staleybridge Celtic. And we were talking about Alisson because he trained sometimes with the first team. And he said that Alisson is so good. It's a joke in terms of what he can do with his hands and also what he can do with his feet. And also what he is teaching the other young goalkeepers. And what a boost that is for Liverpool to have someone like Alisson around. Not just producing the goods like he did at Palace yesterday, but in the training ground every day. And you can see it through Kelleher, the performances that he produces whenever he steps in. Like, I don't know about you boys, but I have no fear whatsoever when Kelleher comes in. And I do believe that's a lot to do with what he's learning from Alisson. And when Alisson gets out on the pitch, you know, sometimes you're under pressure in football matches. Sometimes you're going to need your goalkeeper, even Liverpool. And what he delivered yesterday was a match-winning performance because at... 2-0 2-0 and then it comes 2-1. Palace are in the ascendancy. They're pushing like crazy. And Alisson just gives you that feeling of comfort in many respects that it's going to take something absolutely ridiculous to beat him. He was in that form. And the chip where it looked as if it was going over Alisson's head and um, somehow he found his, his way back to the line to, to tip it around the post and then hit the post. That's one of the saves of the season. Alison told Klopp it he was just doing his job. Well, I'll tell you what, 
Alison Becker, you did one heck of a job yesterday because you won Liverpool the three points effectively. And um, long may he reign and long may he continue to to help the younger players coming through at Liverpool because obviously what he's doing there is fantastic. Magnificent. How good does he look in all black as well? He looks he looks the business, doesn't he? He looks like Batman or something. If, if Liverpool do go all the way this season, James, you know, they're going to have to look at him and go, wow, your contribution already. I think we could pick out lots of games where he stood out, lots of moments where he's been absolutely vital for this side. Yeah, and and Sunday, I think you'd, that, that performance from him has to be at the absolute top of the tree in terms of excelling this season. I think you know during tough periods, you look, don't you, to your really, really elite players to step up and show what they're all about for you. And you know over the course of January, it, it's been a theme for Klopp that at various different points, different players have put their hand up and and made you know really, really important contributions. And we saw that with with Jota at the Emirates. We saw it, you know, Oxay Chamberlain. It's been great to see him have a you know a resurgence of sorts. I think you know he's, that was only the second time in his Anfield career he scored in back-to-back Premier League games for the club. And then you know Allison against against Palace. You know we you know we were talking about Liverpool being without two world-class players and Salah and Mane, but you know he he used Sunday to to remind everyone that they've also got you know an absolutely elite level goalkeeper that you wouldn't you wouldn't swap for anyone, would you? And I think you know you look at Quivine Kelleher and his progress. This season, you know what an amazing experience it must be for him training with Allison on a daily basis. How much, you know, it's no great surprise he's been able to make the steps he has done without going out on loan because you know he he is learning from the best in the business, isn't he? And I, and I think by the same token, when Allison watches Quivine Keller play as well as he did at Arsenal, that that also ensures there's absolute one hundred percent focus from Allison because especially when Klopp has already come out and and said yes, Keller will start the Carabao Cup final, which to me is is right and fair because he's performed at that level. So, um, so yeah, it, it helps keep standards high. You know, when I interviewed John Achterberg a few weeks ago for a piece on the goalkeeping department in general, he, he said the, the thing that sets Alisson apart from anyone he's ever worked with is that mentality that he always wants to get better. You know, the, the work ethic, the, abil- the mental strength to be able to just park any mistake and just move on. And he just reads the game so, so well, doesn't he? Like, he, you know, it's... The, the one, the one when I think it was Edouard when it went around him yesterday. You know, he had no right to save that one. And it, anyway, probably the, the best save of the lot was the one where the flag went up just afterwards, and it wouldn't have counted anyway. But he just reads the game so well and has these amazing reflexes, which is combined with, you know, athleticism, which is on a whole different scale. So um, yeah, he was he was huge for Liverpool on on Sunday, and and you need that sometimes. You know, you don't want to be relying on your goalkeeper too often. I don't, you know, it's not sustainable to for your for your goalkeeper to be man of the match every week if you're going to win league titles. But um, yeah, on on days like that when you've lost your way a bit, you can see fatigue is kicking in. You need the big man at the back to come up, come up trumps, and he, he certainly did that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get to the penalty. 
and the VAR decision at the end. A little bit laughable, to be honest. Stephen, your, your thoughts? Penalty, not penalty? No, not for me, Steve. It was no. never a penalty. Not in a billion years, let alone a million years. <laughs> um, but I want to pay tribute to Trent Alexander-Arnold for a second because I think what he did in the run-up to the penalty incident has been forgotten slightly. That pass that he produced for Jota, I think, was even better than the passes that he delivered against Arsenal in the, the League Cup semi-final. It was a blow-your-mind moment. And then what happened afterwards blew my mind even more. And it, But the pass, it was like, at the moment, we've got the NFL playoffs. And it was like watching Patrick Mahomes um, from the Kansas City Chiefs pick out a man 50, 60 yards down the, the pitch and deliver the perfect pass. It was insane it was that good. And then, of course, all the controversy happened afterwards with Jota coming into contact with the goalkeeper. When I saw it first, I thought, nah, that's not a penalty. And then um, the referee said it wasn't a penalty, and I thought, we're just going to have to get on with the game, and the last few minutes here are going to be tight and going to be tense. And then all of a sudden, VAR comes into the equation, and the longer it goes on, you're thinking, oi, oi, he's going to ask him to go over to the monitor here. And true enough, that's what happened. And I think we all know nowadays that once the referee goes to the monitor, he's going to change his decision. And while it wasn't a penalty in my view, I was so relieved whenever he pointed to the spot because Liverpool needed that just to see out the match. But I will say this as well. Well, that was a terrible decision and it obviously affected Crystal Palace. Jota was also involved in an equally terrible decision earlier this season against Spurs when he didn't get a stonewall penalty. So maybe what goes around comes around. So all those people absolutely slaughtering Liverpool for getting a dodgy penalty at the weekend, maybe they should think back to that one against Spurs when it was even more of a clear-cut decision that was that was um, wrong. So, listen, I was just delighted to see Fabinho step up. My goodness, we've now got three quality penalty takers he's, at the football he's club. He's good, isn't he? he? He's got loads of rage towards this penalty, James. So, you know, some saying the ref had a shocker, others saying it's a decision that only the, the big teams get. <laughs> I, I just think it was an appalling decision all, all around. I, I thought, I've only seen two decisions worse than that all season. One was Harry Kane not getting sent off at Tottenham. Yeah. And the second one was, as Stephen just said, when, when Jota didn't get a penalty in that game, when he was cynically barged to the ground. And the referee then told Klopp that he thought Jota was looking for it. You know, they, they're still, for me, the two worst decisions all season. And they, they actually influenced the result and cost Liverpool points. Let's, let's not lose sight of the fact, as bad as that penalty decision was at Sellers Park on Sunday... It did not influence the outcome. Liverpool were 2-1 up with a couple of minutes to go. So I think there does always seem to be an added element of rage amongst neutrals when, when Liverpool get a, get, get a decision in their, in their favour. But um, I must admit, like, I just think it, it's just incompetence, isn't it? There's no other word. Like, it's, like Craig Paulson was on VAR and I just, do not, I just do not understand how anyone with any knowledge of football can watch that instant over and over again and think that's a penalty. The ball has gone. You know, it was as good as the, the, the delivery was from Trent. Obviously, Jota's control let him down slightly. And then he's, you know, I think inadvertently fallen into the keeper's path. It's never, ever a penalty. But as soon as he got told to go to the monitor, I think we all knew what follows because as mad as the system is, has anyone actually gone been told to go to the monitor and then not agreed with the VAR? 
I don't think <laughs> I can't think of it because it's almost like you know once one once once someone's put that seed of doubt in their mind. You know, Craig Paulson yesterday to Kevin Friend saying, "I think you should look at it." It's almost like he's thinking, "Well, I'm going to have to give it now." Do you know what? Appalling decision. But no, nothing like Liverpool have had some terrible ones go against them this season that have actually cost them points. That didn't give them points. All it did was save them a slightly stressful last few minutes. And um, yeah, I think I think it's fair to say Fabino has well and truly cemented his status as Liverpool's backup penalty taker. I'm sure Mo Salah will still want them off him when he comes back from from Cameroon. But yeah, no great surprise because when you look at his penalty record at, at Monaco, it was exceptional. I think it was something like, was it 21 or 22 out of 23 that he, he converted? And I think it was actually, he missed, I think probably the first one he took for Liverpool in a pre-season friendly against Torino at Anfield. He missed, drilled it wide. And then it was almost like, well, we never saw him take one after that. So I'm glad that he's now um, back on it and, and showing how good he is from, from 12 yards. And, you know, when you talk about players chipping in from, you know, unlikely sources, he certainly ticks that box, doesn't he, this month for Bino when... I think four goals in his first 143 games for Liverpool and then four goals in the five games since. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's been, been really important to, you know, to, to fill in that void with, with no Salah and Mane. For such a, a proficient passer of the ball, you'd expect him to be a great penalty taker, Stephen, wouldn't you? And, and James mentioned there, if Mo was on the pitch, he wouldn't let Fabinho have a sniff of that ball if there was a penalty. But actually, you wouldn't mind if it was either of them, in all honesty, would you? I'm still choosing Mo. I've got to be honest. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I love Fabino. I think um, you guys know how much I love Fabino. But then when you've got Mo Salah on the pitch, he's taking the pens. And uh, listen, I love James Milner as a penalty taker too. So it's fantastic to have three boys who are capable of um, putting it in the onion bag when the pressure's on. And also, listen, there's a, a distinct possibility that, that that League Cup final might go to penalties. Because Liverpool and Chelsea, there's not much between them, and there's been two draws so far in the in the league this season when the two teams have played. So at least we know if you've got Salah, Milner, and Fabinho on the pitch, you've got a, a really good chance of um, getting three penalties. And Kelliger, well, it's a guarantee he's going to save at least one, isn't he? So I'm um, just looking forward to that. That's going to be fantastic. But there's so much now to look forward to. You know, you've got the League Cup final. The next match that Liverpool play after this break is Cardiff in the FA Cup. The league title race, um, uh, we're still in the mix. And the Champions League as well. So this season could be absolutely phenomenal for Liverpool. Listen, to me, I know everyone talks about top four and all that. Football's all about winning trophies. And Liverpool have got a chance of winning one, two, three or four. Highly unlikely you're going to win all four. But um, this could be a season where Liverpool win multiple trophies already in that final. And I love the League Cup. Because Liverpool won the League Cup in 81, 82, 83 and 84 and I was a kid, the League Cup has always meant more to me than the FA Cup, funny enough. I've been lucky enough to see the last four triumphs. Um, two at Wembley, two in Cardiff. And it would be brilliant if Liverpool could win that ninth League Cup. And there's that rivalry between Liverpool and Chelsea now. Um, it's grown um, over the last, say, 15, 20 years. It's going to be an intense game at Wembley. But players are going to be playing for places now in that final. And that can only be good in the league games and the FA Cup games to come. And I just, I'm really looking forward to this season. I'll be honest, I don't really like breaks in football, but I'm kind of happy about this one because it gives 
us a chance to reflect on what has been an incredible season so far. When you think of Liverpool beating United 5-0 at Old Trafford, beating Everton 4-1 at Goodison, there's been some incredible games, boys, hasn't there? And now we just have to go on to the second half of the season and see what trophies we can deliver. And Jurgen Klopp continues to be an absolute sensational manager for this football club. So, um, yeah, there's much to feel excited about and much to look forward to. And the short break, James, does it help with numbers by the time Liverpool are back playing Cardiff? Is Thiago back involved? Uh, we don't know the situation with the lads at the AFCON. Um, I haven't fully kept up to date with, <laughs> with their teams and their progress. Uh, but there's also Harvey, Harvey Elliott as well. So are, are we looking at... Um, Maybe a few numbers back by the, the Cardiff game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the break comes at a, a really, really good time for Liverpool. I think only think you had to watch that second half on Sunday. To, I, I thought they looked like they were on their knees. A break is richly deserved. Pretty much a week off for the players before they reconvene to look ahead to that FA Cup tie against Cardiff City. And yeah, certainly, you know, obviously we're waiting to see what happens with the AFCON knockout stages. Well, we, we know for sure that by the next time Liverpool are in Premier League action against Leicester on February the 10th, that you know, Salah, Mane and Keita will certainly be back. They might even be back for, for that FA Cup tie against Cardiff four days earlier if, um, if their nations don't make it to the, the last four of, uh, of AFCON because I think the, the third and fourth place playoff and the final are on that same weekend as the FA Cup ties. And then, yeah, Pep Linder said last week that he expects Thiago to be back in full training next week ahead of the Cardiff game. Harvey Elliott as well is, uh, I, you know, for that Cardiff game, could even be his comeback in terms of maybe a, a little cameo off the bench because he will have had a few weeks full training under his belt. Yeah, and, and Origi shouldn't be far off either. So there are reinforcements on the way. And you know, the, the great thing is that they're coming back to a squad which is buoyant. And I must admit, I'd like to think I'm generally a, a glass half full kind of person, but I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I thought that was the case three or four weeks ago when I, when I left Stamford Bridge and you just thought, how on earth are Liverpool going to get through these next few weeks? You know, where are the goals going to come from? Where's the creativity going to come from? Where's the belief going to come from? When, you know, which, which seemed to have just been sucked away by a, by a, by a patchy run of form. So um, it's just a, a, a fantastically exciting position to be in and um yeah judging by the noise on my train coming back from Houston to, to Liverpool last <laughs> night the um <laughs> the fans certainly share that excitement because I was chatting to a few of them actually and Stephen might be able to might be able to know the answer to this one but I was I was asking him when, when was the last time Liverpool went into February which is what they will do still in contention for you know essentially the Champions League the League Cup the FA Cup and the Premier League I think you've probably got to go back to maybe 83 or 84, something like that, because I can't think in the modern era, a season when you know, we're talking about, of course, you know, Liverpool have been in both cups and still in the Champions League, but to, to actually be in a position where they could move within six points of the summit of the Premier League as well, if they won their game in hand, you know, what a, what a position to be in that is. Go on, Stephen. I'll tell you what, I'll take that 83-84 season right now then, James, because um, we won the title, the League Cup and the European Cup. So if that happens, mate, we're going to have one heck of a party. We're going to finish off with a thought about uh, an article that James uh, wrote on uh, Fabio Carvalho. So 19-year-old who's at Fulham making a massive impact. Fulham 
scoring ridiculous amounts of goals. It seems six a game, doesn't it? Top of the, the championship at the moment. But he's a top talent who's clearly caught the attention of some big clubs, including Liverpool, James. Yeah, most definitely, Steve. Yeah, we know there is certainly a degree of interest there. It's a player that Liverpool have have watched closely. I think you only have to watch Fulham play to to see that he he ticks a lot of Liverpool's boxes. I think you know you look at his age, you look at his profile, his his versatility. You know he like plays on the kind of left hand side, could, could play in the front three, predominantly an attacking midfielder for Fulham. Uh, and the other crucial thing is. From, you know, having been at their academy, I think since the age of eleven, despite having grown up initially in Portugal, he's he qualifies as homegrown, which we know is important in terms of meeting the, the quotas as well. So um, at the minute, it's a, it's a wait and see one, just to see um, whether Fulham decide to cash in before the January window uh, closes. I think certainly from Liverpool's perspective, if they were going to cement that interest, I think they would probably ideally wait until the summer when they know he's out of contract. It would be a similar situation with Harvey Elliott, where you know probably you're looking at a tribunal deciding on the fee, and I think that's because of that, and because of that fear of almost history repeating itself. I think that's probably why we've seen a fair few stories recently, and and Fulham, I think, dipping their toe in just to see what kind of figures they could command for him this month, because they, there's no doubt they could get more money for him now than I think relying on a tribunal, because we know with those tribunals. It's only really a you know a, a, a development fee compensation to cover the costs of what you've put into that player. I think mean, you, you look at the Elliott fee. I think what was it, only one point seven million guaranteed for them, potentially rising to about four million. Which, when you think how much Harvey Elliott is worth in the modern game, is is peanuts really. So, um, I think the interesting thing will be if Fulham decide to cash in, then what do Liverpool do in terms of do they do they then decide to? To make their move this month, or do they sit tight until the summer? It may, you know, for me, you'd imagine it would make more sense for Fulham to keep hold of him until the summer anyway, because yes, they might get a few more million for him in January, but you know, how much money is promotion to the Premier League worth? And at the moment, he's playing a big part in their their push to achieve that. And you've written on it that actually he's got a really strange setup and regarding agents and who's sort of looking after him at the moment. Yeah, well, that that came from uh, Peter Rusler, our uh, our Fulham correspondent. That that side of the article, but um, yeah, I think that doesn't make it particularly easy to to deal with because I think there's a lot of people, I think, claiming to to represent him at the minute and and trying to set up various things and 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 of course because of his contract situation and for an overseas club for Spain for clubs in Spain especially. It, he's a really, really attractive proposition because you know I think I think if he was to go to go to Spain, I think the compensation would only be about two hundred. I think it's two hundred thousand pound. So you, you know you're, you're talking about a real nominal fee. So there's you know there's talk of Spain as well. And you know I I spoke to people at Liverpool last week who said yes yes we like him, but you know there's probably a dozen clubs in that same category at the minute. And um, I think it's it's one just to to keep an eye on. You know, I, I think the the ball to a large extent is in Fulham's court. Like I said, you know, what do they decide to do? Because um, do they want the extra money now, or do they want him to stay put and get them promoted to the Premier League, despite knowing that then that they they probably are going to lose him in the summer. Uh, Liverpool seem seem pretty good when they target players like that. James, as always, thank you. you can read his piece about uh, Fabio Carvalho on the Athletic. Now you can also catch up on that piece about. Um, 
Liverpool's success in this month of January 2022. Uh, Stephen, wonderful to have you on as always. Thank you. Uh, And thank you for listening to the Red Agenda, everyone out there. We're going to return after a couple of days, and I think we'll try and do a mailbag. We'll get to a Red Agenda where we take some of your questions. So we'll see you then for that. (laughs) 